Well, week three of our Living the Transformed Life workshop. One of the beauties of having more than one week to unpack a particular topic is that I get to tie up my loose ends. <laughs> and so that's kind of where I want to start, where we left off last week. But just very, very excited about what God is doing. You know, more than anything, I think God has just put in me such a desire to see his women continue to grow. But I know what it feels like to feel stuck sometimes, too. Or sometimes we think we're not growing because we're looking for something in particular to be happening in our lives, or we keep dealing with the same issues as like, how come I can't get past this? But other people begin to notice new fruits and new things happening in our lives. So sometimes we need a little positive feedback to keep us moving forward. But it's just such a um, process. I want to compare it to a marathon. It's never a sprint, is it? in in, uh, our process of moving forward in our faith, in our walk, seeing new fruit, you know, in our lives. Um, I have to admit I'm one of those very impatient people. I want to see it now. And if you can tell me a shortcut, I will take it. Or if I have to work a little harder, it's not like that. It's, I believe, when we get our minds renewed, it becomes a very natural Process. And so we're always going to that place of change that only can come by what the Holy Spirit can do in us through his word. Amen. So let's go ahead and just open in prayer. Father God, I believe you have something very specific for each person here. And I know, Lord, that We are your sheep, and you are a good shepherd, and we hear your voice. And so thank you, Lord, that you will speak to us in a way that we can hear and understand. And I pray for some aha moments this morning, like the light bulb turning on. Even if we're rereading a very familiar scripture, Father, help us to see something new Because every word in your word was breathed with life from you. And so I thank you that we are positioned to be resuscitated and revived this morning. Encouraged where we've been discouraged. New hope where we've become hopeless. Healing where we're broken. Whether that be physically, emotionally, spiritually. Um, I'm sensing that there are some people here or maybe one person who has carried a very deep church hurt for a very long time, inflicted by a situation that happened in a church setting. Lord, we just pray that you would go to that place of pain and free them, heal them first of all, but free them from carrying that because that's part of their healing and they're moving forward today. So we, you know how to speak to that, and I just thank you that you're here for our good, and we just give you the glory and give you all the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. All right, let's just move into our scriptures, uh, our foundation scriptures 
for this Transformed Life workshop. And we're starting again in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And we'll just start there with, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God, make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. I love that that is also considered worship. You don't have to be the best singer in the world. You don't have to have any music playing to worship. Our worship is presenting ourselves to God. All of us, everything that I am, coming to him. And, and again, in verse 2, it says, And then do not be conformed to this world or this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed. Be changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. You know, I know that um, I've heard messages, and I'm not saying that this isn't necessarily true, but... um, Some people have kind of made a message out of that last phrase that says that um, there is a good will of God for our lives, there's an acceptable will for our lives, and then there's a perfect will for our lives, perfect will of God. And some people kind of look at that in levels, like this one's good, but this one's better, and of course, perfect is is the main goal. I would just say it doesn't say that the, uh, the thing which is good or acceptable or perfect. It's not given as an option. I believe it's all of the above. Amen? And that's how good our God is. He says, it's going to be good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect in my sight for you. All right, I don't know. That's just a little extra on the side. But, you know, we've been systematically going through these two scriptures because we're talking about growth, we're talking about change, we're talking about true uh, transformation that leads to true spiritual maturity. And, you know, Paul even says, don't be babies. Don't stay, you know, always having to be spoon-fed and drinking a bottle, basically, is what he says, you know. Chew on the meat of God's word so that we mature, so that we we continue to grow. So I pray this is meat and potatoes this morning. Anybody hungry for that? All right. So um, I love those same scriptures. Uh, Reread um, Romans 12, verse 2 in the Passion Translation. Fast becoming another favorite translation to um, study from. And uh, it just says, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Isn't it good to know that God wants you to live a beautiful life? That's what he's designed for us to be able to enjoy life. And it doesn't mean that everything around us is always beautiful. 
That's not what we depend on to make our lives beautiful. I can't live a great life until everything around me um, has been resolved and nobody's bugging me anymore and my kids are doing this and my husband's not saying that. And no, it's not about what's going on around us. It's, it's pointing us to the total reformation of how we think, all right, our perception, and it will empower you to live that beautiful life. We're talking about a mind makeover from the Word of God, and he's telling us how that works. Our thoughts, our will, and our emotions, all in alignment with our spirit girl who passed from death to life, from darkness to light. It's That part of you is 100% sold out to Jesus because you have the very mind and spirit of Jesus himself living in us. And so what we're doing is renewing this part of us, our mind, our will, and our emotions, our thought life that we've been talking about, to be in full alignment, which is in agreement with the word of God. And there is nothing that can overtake you, overpower you, conquer you when those two things are in alignment. And that's where we're going. Last week, we talked about the fact that we have the mind of who? Christ in us. Yes, we have a brain and we have our own thought processes right here. But because we have the full spirit of Jesus living in us and that renewed um, born again spirit, we also have access to the mind of Christ. And so we have wisdom at our access that is beyond my natural wisdom. We have intelligence beyond my natural intelligence, and all I can say is praise God for that. We have the ability to think and see things differently because we have access to the mind of Christ. And I want to go there again, and this is my loose end to tie up with you, because in 1 Corinthians 2.16, um, it's to make sure that we see that this is not just me talking here, but this is what the Word of God says. But we have the mind of Christ to be guided by his thoughts and purposes. So I might have a path and I'm needing to make decisions and I'm the physical part of this world and there are consequences to my actions and I, we all are faced with decisions, but we have access to the mind of Christ and I could say, God, how do you see this situation? How, what are your thoughts? And I also want to say that the Holy Spirit shares with us the mind of Christ. It's like giving us access to an unlimited uh, uh, divine wisdom, which is the ultimate spiritual intelligence, we can't even call it. And I have asked God, you know, give me the same wisdom that Jesus walked in. He was so smart. He was at every turn uh, had enemies trying to trap him, trying to uh, get him to say things, you know, that they could use against him. And Jesus outsmarted them every single time. And one thing, observe, if you read through the Gospels, is uh, oftentimes when a miracle uh, when, when Jesus was preaching, he was in the temple, or in several times um, when a miracle happened, when he healed or, or delivered someone, the Pharisees were there watching. And Jesus 
operated in spiritual gifts. Now, we have to remember that when Jesus was on the earth, though he was 100% God, he also was living in a human body. And he still had a will that, and he also had a mind. And so he always had to be in total alignment with the Spirit of God. Now, I know that sounds weird, but I've heard it said this way. He was 100% man, but he was also 100% God at the same time. But he still had to obey God. He still had to rely on the Holy Spirit. He still had to, uh, in fact, he said it this way, I only say what I hear the Spirit of the Lord say, and I only do what I see him do. That was an act of Jesus' will to do that. And what that does for me is to say, that's the kind of alignment I want to be in. Do we do it perfectly? No. Will we ever be perfect in that? Never. But Jesus knows that. God knew that. And so he sent Jesus to do it perfectly for us. And then we get to reap all the benefits. But because Jesus lives in us, I just want to say we can tap into what we see that Jesus was able to do. In fact, he said, uh, you're going to do these things. One of the last things he said to his disciples and even greater things. And that always just blows my mind. Just blows my mind. Can I lay hands on a dead person and see them come to life? Did Jesus do it? Not in my power. But yes, we can. Yes, we can. When we get in alignment with the truth from the word of God, it's not that we're so powerful, but we have access to the same power that raised Christ from the dead that lives in us. We sing it. We say it. I want to start living it. How about you? Because it is available to us. But how do we access? Let's go back to more the mind of Christ. Um, I've shared before, but this summer... um, Well, actually, I should say back in March when everything shut down, my husband was off from work for seven weeks. And so we were home together. And quite honestly, we had a blast. I enjoyed it. It was fun. Uh, But he decided to kind of make it his full-time job to uh, redo all the electronics on our sailboat. And I know I talk about my sailboat. And it's just part of what we get to do together. And not knowing how huge of a job this was. But he says, hey, I'm off work anyway. We might as well save the money to pay somebody to do it. I'll figure it out. Well, he's awesome at that. I get frustrated right away, but he's willing to work through it. And it was all trial and error. And I could not believe there were so many wires involved, you know. And my job was mainly to hold the flashlight, you know, so just to help him out. But he's the brains behind it. But he got stuck. And after working for hours and hours and hours and trying to figure out where this wire goes and got to put this new module over here and it can't be too close to the blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, ugh, this stuff I don't have time for. But he, he loves it. So the day came. Got all the work done. Flip on to see if everything's working. It's like three, two, one. I'm so excited. And nothing. Nothing worked. I was like, oh my goodness, all that time. And now why you have to go back and rewire it, rethink it, try and 
figure it out. And he worked hours and hours and hours trying to figure out why things weren't working. And then one night when he came home, he was kind of discouraged. And we went to bed and he's constantly thinking all this stuff, you know. My husband works in his sleep. (laughs) But something really cool happened. He woke up the next morning. He says, Karen, he said, I had a dream. I dreamt that in this really tight cramped spot where I had to install this certain module, there's actually an on-off switch. He says, I don't remember seeing it there, and it's not anywhere on the schematic, and nowhere does it say flip the on-off switch on for everything to work, and he couldn't wait to get back to the boat and check that out, and guess what? Sure enough, there was an on-off switch, and I'm, I'm not kidding. It was not in any of the instructions anywhere. He flipped the switch and praise God. But you know what happened? I believe that he had access to the mind of Christ, something that he could not possibly know. And God gave him a word of knowledge in a dream. Can God talk to us in a way that we can hear and understand? Absolutely. So the way we access the mind of Christ is by accessing, communicating through spiritual gifts. And if you want to uh, review here what spiritual gifts are, 1 Peter 4.11 uh, lists them as a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, which I believe is knowing something that there's no way that you could possibly have known, gifts of healings, miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And you well know we could spend eight weeks on this. But I all to say uh, that spiritual gifts are ours for the asking. Um, it says that we are to earnestly desire, uh, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. But sometimes we get the spiritual gifts, which I just read to you, kind of mixed up with the fruit of the Spirit. And let me just, uh, just for discernment's sake here and, and to make this really clear, our, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is something that comes as a result of being connected. It comes from relationship through Jesus Christ. But the difference between spiritual gifts and the fruit of the Spirit is gifts are given when we ask for them, earnestly desire, and he gives us full permission to do that. Fruit comes from relationship with God. And so I believe as part of this workshop that you're going to begin to see more of the fruit of the Spirit coming forth, kind of like a fruit tree. You go through the process of flowering, and then the blooms go away, and then slowly but surely, new fruit grows on that tree. But I just wanted to make that last point, that spiritual gifts access the mind of Christ. And just let God show you some of those things. But today... I'd like to share a scripture that when I read it, it did one of those acrobatic moves. It just somersaulted off the page right into my heart. And it was like, wow, I've seen it before, but it just really impacted me. And it was found in Romans 5.1. And this is Paul speaking, obviously. And he says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. Say, peace with God peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. And it seemed like that phrase, peace with God, just really struck me 
Because I think I realize I'm always looking for peace in me. <laughs> Lord, I want to be at peace. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit that we just read, you know, kindness, goodness, peace, patience, you know, that thing. And, um, and, and, but it says peace with God. And I thought, okay, God, what do you want to show me about that phrase, peace with God? And I asked myself, oh, do I have peace with God? And, and what does peace with God look like and what does it feel like? And then it occurred to me, it might be possible to not have peace with God. There might be something in my relationship that I could say is not very peaceful. But the Greek definition of that word as it's used in that scripture is harmony, concord, being undisturbed, and even implies wholeness. So notice that it does not say peace in me, in myself, peace with myself, peace with others or world peace, but peace with God. And once again, we're speaking of relationship. I love how God always brings it back to relationship. God wants to be connected with us 24-7, the same way that Jesus was always, always, always connected with the Father God. But it says that we have peace with God because of this, of what Jesus has done for us. And so we need to delve into what has Jesus done for us that brings me peace in my relationship with him. We've been made right in God's sight is what the very beginning of that verse says. Okay, I'm going to be reading that scripture in about four different translations, just to let you all know back there. <laughs> so that's the amplified version of that verse. And it says, the word, uh, the word for uh, being made right is justified. And in the amplified, it defines the word justified, acquitted, declared righteous, and given a right standing with God. That is what brings peace with God. So this is kind of my summary of this scripture. It says, when I understand what Jesus has, has done for me and accept it by faith, then my relationship with God is one of harmony and peace, leading to intimacy and wholeness. So then I asked myself, well, what does intimacy with God look like, feel like? Intimacy in marriage seems to be of a sexual nature, but it's not just that. There's emotional intimacy as well. And I don't want to be the sex lady here this morning, not going there. But that I, I do think intimacy with I guess I will just keep it in the context of marriage, is the ability to stand before each other naked and unashamed. And Genesis 2.5 says that when God created Adam and Eve, they were naked and they were unashamed. Uh, that, to me, speaks of the way that we can approach God. If not, I'm not talking about taking off your clothes, but I am talking about taking off the mask and saying, God, this is me. This is the real me. I, I feel like laying in a pile of warm laundry and eating bread this morning. You know, that's just the way I'm feeling. But I am coming to you and know that you don't expect me to 
perform for you and to live up to some kind of standard of spirituality. You just plain love me. And that's kind of, that kind of a relationship breeds intimacy. Can I stand before God naked and unashamed, naked emotionally and spiritually, naked and be transparent and real, vulnerable, even in my weakness, to know that, God, you still desire relationship with me and trust that God still loves me and delights in me as his daughter, no matter how I present myself? Or do we stand before God feeling guilty and ashamed, thinking God is disappointed in me? After all, I'm disappointed in me and never feeling like I've done enough. I've got to do more. I've got to do more to deserve his love and acceptance. That second description describes a relationship that does not have peace with God. That is, a, that is a troubled relationship. And you know, some people say, oh, living the Christian life is hard. You have to do all the right things, and I keep messing up. And I would just say to you, the Christian life is not hard. It's impossible. But God never said that he expected perfection from us. But he did something for us because he knew that in and of ourselves we would never be able to measure up because he wants peace in our relationship and we're gonna get there. But this is our peace that we have been made right, made right, put into right standing by God through faith. So when I look at myself, I say, I don't deserve your love. I really messed up today. And I think maybe I just need to go clean myself up a little bit so I feel uh, like I can come into your presence because after all, you know, I maybe I'll just pray for three hours today and then I'll feel better about coming into your presence. No, he says, come on, come on. Just come in here. I know you blew it but I still love you, and I have made you right. It's not because you're so good, but it's because I'm so good that I'm giving you right relationship, right standing with God. And I can say right standing with God must be received, not achieved. Not achieved by my own efforts. And that's why it's a, it's a step of faith, To say, I'm in right relationship with you. I'm righteous. He calls you righteous, just as righteous as Jesus. And I look at my life and I say, but there's still issues. I'm falling short. And Jesus says, I'm your righteousness. And when God looks at us, he calls us righteous. And I want to read that same passage, Romans 5, uh, 1 and 2, in the Passion Translation. And it says it beautifully. Because we're asking, how can I be righteous when I'm still messing up and I don't do everything right? Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us. And he now declares us flawless in his eyes. This means we can now enjoy true and lasting peace with God. All because of what our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, has done for us. Our faith guarantees us permanent access into this marvelous kindness that has given us a perfect relationship with God. 
It's amazing. What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. Isn't that beautiful? And it's because of the very beginning of that, Jesus' righteousness has been transferred to us. We'll never deserve it. You'll never be able to earn it. You cannot be good enough to be considered righteous in our own uh, ability. In fact, the Old Testament calls that filthy rags. Our own righteousness, you can be good, but it's not righteous unless we're walking in Jesus' righteousness. And that should just give us incredible joy. But you know, even... Abraham was called righteous. Now, he lived a couple centuries before Jesus came. And when you read the story about Abraham, he's one of those guys that, yes, he became the father of all nations. And we know the story that he and his wife were well beyond childbearing years, but their miracle happened, and Isaac was born. But between the time that God gave them the promise and the time that they had the child, the promise that actually came true, they blew it over and over and over and over, even to the point where Abraham was quite the liar. Uh, twice while they were traveling through different uh, countries, he told his wife, Sarah, tell the king that um, you're my sister, so he doesn't kill me to get you. And he told her to lie. She lied. They messed up. But God always restored them, always rescued them. And yet in Romans 4, 13, this is what God says about Abraham. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on Abraham's obedience to God's law. Clearly, clearly he was a human being that messed up. But on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. It has to be by faith because it can't be by works because we can't We can't be perfect in and of ourselves. So right relationship with God is not based on our obedience to God's law, but is to be received by faith. I'm righteous, declared justified, perfect, and flawless in God's sight, not based on my goodness, but based on his goodness. And I am not made righteous because I do everything right, because I will fail. I'm made righteous by faith, not my performance. Jesus' obedience is my righteousness. And we are made right because, and this is a great one, of the blood of Jesus. And we find that in Romans 5, 8 through 11 in the New uh, Living Translation. It says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up and be good enough. We were still in our sin when God made that decision to send Christ to die for us. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, there it is, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. See, when we go before God and we're constantly feeling guilty, and I played that game for years and years, I wanted to be right before God. I wanted to live my life for God. But I always came to him and, and spent the first 10 minutes apologizing. God, I'm sorry, and I'm, I'm, I'm turning every rock over, any other sin over there that I need to confess, so I feel like I can be in God's presence. And I would apologize and ask for forgiveness. And yet God 
wanted me to come in with confidence of knowing that Jesus took that sin already and became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God, not because I'm so good, but because it's in Christ Jesus, all right? It never says that we are righteous because we're so good. It says that we've been made righteous because he is so good. And so this scripture clearly says that it, it, we are saved from God's condemnation. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, if we could have seen in the spiritual realm, I think there would have been so many things happening. And one of those things was that God was burning his wrath, his full condemnation and punishment on Jesus who somehow not just represented sinful man. The Bible says he became sin. The one who knew no sin became sin for us. And so God is a just God, and sin has to be punished. God didn't turn a blind eye to our sin, but Jesus took it all, past, present, and future. Thank you, Jesus, because otherwise we'd still be in our sin. And while he was on the cross, he became sin. God burned his wrath, burned his judgment, burned his uh, condemnation. Jesus became guilty, even though he didn't do anything to deserve it, but he took it for us. And then when he became sin, I believe that was the moment that God had to turn his back on his own son. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that word forsaken literally means divided, uh, separated, and turned back on. And Jesus, because God was being a just God, he had to turn his back on his only son. And do you know that if you read through the Gospels, Jesus never referred to God as God. It was always my father. But at that moment, relationship was broken because God saw Jesus as sin. Sin does separate us, okay? But I've got some good news because when Jesus breathed his last, he said, Father. It was restored once again into your hands. I commit my spirit. So though there was that temporary separation, punishment, the fullness of, of the demand of sin was fulfilled in Jesus. God burned his wrath and, and just uh, justified the sin of the world that Jesus represented, and then the relationship was restored. That is a picture of us. Sin no longer separates us because you have been repositioned as the righteousness of God because of Christ Jesus. So yes, if we sin, if we fall short, you receive forgiveness that's already been paid for us. But you do not have to worry about being separated or God turning his back on you. He will never turn his back on you again because he did it once and for all through Jesus Christ. That gives me peace with God. I don't hang my head in shame. 
I'll say, God, thank you for loving me, but I received forgiveness. I blew it. I shouldn't have said that. I am sorry, but I'm going to ask you to make that change in me because I'm still the righteousness of God because it's not about me, God. It's about what you have done and you have made me righteous in your sight because I am covered in the blood of Jesus. So, We didn't even finish reading Romans 5, 8, did we? For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, he will certainly, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice. This is another happy celebratory moment here in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us, get ready, friends of God. Maybe another litmus test to see, what's my relationship with God like? Can you call him friend? Can you call him friend? What, what is it like to have a best friend? Someone that you can go to, you know they're not going to judge you, they're going to still love you no matter what you do, right? That's the kind of relationship that God wants with each and every one of us. That's peace with God. Because we've been saved from the wrath and condemnation. And guess what? God's not mad anymore. It's all done. His wrath has already burned against Jesus, and he no longer judges us. And friendship, it says, has been restored. And it's a new relationship with God because of Jesus. So we could break out in song right now, right? I am a friend of God. You remember that song? Yeah. If we can say that with confidence, knowing that it's not because I perform so well that now God wants to call me friend. No, it's because of the blood of Jesus. And all the, the requirements, uh, let me say it this way. We do not have to disqualify ourselves because he has qualified us by the blood of Jesus. So, Romans 5.1, get ready for the big therefore. Paul is very consistent in the way his writing style. The therefore is always there for a reason, right? But in light of everything that we're talking about, Romans 5, 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, since we have been made right, there's that phrase again. We've been made right. God did that for us. In God's sight, by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. And this is in the New Living uh, Translation. It says, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. We will never deserve it, but you get to receive it. If you'll humble yourself and realize, oh my, I'm so thankful, God, that you did this because I'll never be able to earn it. It's an undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So we have peace with God because... The one who knew no sin became sin for us. Now, here's some, uh, sometimes we have a little bit of confusion. So you say, okay, so I'm righteous and I can't lose my righteousness when I sin because it's a gift that I've received by faith. But what happens when I sin? Does that mean it's okay to sin? Well, you know that if you uh, read Paul's writings again three times, he says, absolutely not. That's nuts. That's crazy. And he he defends the fact that we are saved by grace. We've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We still have the ability to sin. But you didn't earn righteousness by your good deeds. You will not lose your righteousness 
for doing the bad things because it didn't come by your performance in the first place. It's received by faith and recognizing God's goodness. And I just like this phrase, this quote that I heard. It says, though sin does not unravel our righteousness, it will unravel your life. But when we realize our righteousness standing that has come by faith, not because I deserve it or can earn it, it changes something in me. And when we really understand that free gift that was given, I no longer have a desire to sin. It's, it changes my want to. My want to begins to line up again in alignment with my spirit girl who is 100% on fire for Jesus and doesn't have any desire for sin. And so, again, another level of enjoying peace with God. But in light of all these blessings, do we ever approach God this way? When you've sinned and you've blown it and you haven't been in the word or whatever that looks like to you, do you avoid God's presence until you do something good or spiritual so I can feel better about myself and now I can feel better about coming into your presence? Isn't that like cleaning the house before the maid comes? Isn't that like instead of going to the one who wants to clean us up? Or maybe sometimes we're afraid to come to God with the smallest or even the biggest concerns. Oh, God, I don't want to bother you with my stuff. You've got better things to think about. Other people have bigger problems than mine. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't care about that part of my life. Or maybe you feel guilty and ashamed. And like I explained, I spent the first part of my time with God always apologizing, making sure every sin was well taken care of before I felt like I could be in his presence. But the problem with that is you'll never be good enough. And it's a, it's a pit. Because what we're talking about is becoming more sin conscious than righteousness conscious. When you are focused on what God has done for us, the sin problem takes care of itself. Because the, oftentimes we say that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Before you're saved, the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin. But once you're saved, you have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And when we're heading down the wrong path, maybe doing something in our lives over and over that doesn't please God, um, the Holy Spirit comes and he taps you and he convicts you of your, the Bible says, your righteousness. He reminds you of who you are in his sight. It says, I'm, I'm reminding you, I died for that. You don't have to do that. You don't have to operate in that, that sin because you, you, the real you is righteous in my sight. And that compels me to go and sin no more. And we even see that illustrated in the story, again, very familiar, when the woman caught in the act of adultery was brought to Jesus. And they threw her, it says naked, in front of Jesus. They were totally humiliating this woman. First of all, she was not a prostitute. She was a woman caught in the act of adultery. And people want to know, okay, you've got, it takes two to tango. Where's the guy, right? Well, this was a trap. This was a setup. And they were trying to trap Jesus because the law of Moses said this woman should be stoned. Because she was committing adultery. Was she guilty of that sin? Yes, she was. 
So now they're, but Jesus had been talking about the grace of God, the forgiveness uh, that was to come, especially uh, because he was on his way to the cross. And so now they're saying, well, if he doesn't stone her, then he's breaking the law of Moses. But here's the wisdom, the amazing uh, uh, wisdom of God that Jesus tapped into. And here, first of all, he ignored him and he wrote in dust, it says, on the temple floor. But they kept demanding an answer, so Jesus stood up and said, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Wisdom. He outsmarted, outwitted them. Because Jesus was bringing the, he was fulfilling the law and bringing the new covenant, ushering it in, which is of grace and forgiveness, even for the guilty. But when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one. Because I don't know if they were all guilty of adultery, but they were convicted of that sin. And they slipped away, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. But you see, all the accusers left. And in Jewish law, you had to have at least two witnesses to accuse somebody, and then the person would be stoned to death, in this case, for committing adultery. That was how they operated. But now all the accusers were gone. The witnesses were gone. And it's just Jesus and the woman. And he says to her, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And she says, no, Lord, she said. And here's what we're talking about today. And Jesus said, neither do I. He's saying, I don't condemn you either. Does he approve of what she did? Absolutely not. He's not saying It's okay what you did, but this is what he said. He gave her the free gift of no condemnation and then told her, go and sin no more. When we receive the free gift of no condemnation, which means by faith we have received our new identity, which is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, It will compel you, empower you to go and sin no more. And that is the renewing of our mind to see ourselves the way God sees us. And I want to close with this scripture. Hebrews 4.16 in the Amplified says this. In light of everything we just said, that you can come into God's presence no matter what we've done, no matter where we're at in our walk with him. You don't have to clean yourself up and build yourself up so you feel worthy. He calls you worthy. He sees you righteous. He sees you covered in the blood of Jesus. And in light of all that truth, Hebrews 4.16 is our banner of victory and our anthem that I want to leave you with today. It says, let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace. It is not a throne of judgment. It is a throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor to us sinners that we may receive for our failures and find, oh, receive mercy for our failures and find grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate help and well-timed help coming just 
when we need it. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing gift you have given us. The identity, the position that you have gifted to us that we receive by faith. When I look at myself, I say, God, how can you call me righteous? But you say, it's not about you. It's about my son and what he did for you. And I choose I choose to see you righteous. You are covered in the blood of Jesus. Every sin, every weakness has already been paid for and provided for. Just come. Come boldly. Come fearlessly and and confidently. Confident in my love for you. I want peace in relationship with you. That you can come to me anytime. The throne room door is open. And you'll never have to feel condemned or judged because this is where you come. God is inviting you this morning when you need mercy. This is where you come when you fail. This is where you come to get healed. This is where you come to know that you're never alone, that I am with you, I am for you, I love you. And when I look at you, I am delighted in you. You don't have to perform for me. I've already decided to love you without any strings attached. And ladies, can I say there is not one person on this earth, though that you may be well loved, that loves you the way that Jesus can love you. And it's a perfect love. We'll never know the full height, width, depth of that love. But thank you, God, that when we can put away that voice of condemnation, that accuser of the brethren that wants to separate us from a peaceful relationship with you. When we walk boldly into your presence, Lord God, we know that we are positioned in righteousness to receive everything that you have for us. And then we know it is good. You hold, withhold no good thing from your children. And we thank you and praise you for that. In the mighty name of Jesus, we all say, amen.